0: Hello and welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast, I'm Dave Hendon and we are back after a mere six years by public demand, uh, this is the first uh, in what hopefully will be uh, a new series of podcasts for the magazine Snooker Scene, I'm going to say this at the start because I'll probably forget later, you can subscribe to Snooker Scene if you go to our website snookerscene.co.uk and uh, let us know also what you think of the podcast, what you want to hear, we we appreciate any feedback, you can contact me on Twitter at Dave Hendon, that's at Dave Hendon on Twitter and let us know. I'm joined by the Snooker Scene editor, Clive Everton, for this first edition, and we're going to be talking about uh, all sorts of things. We're going to be talking about Kyron Wilson, who's just won the Shanghai Masters, came right for the pack to win that uh, in Shanghai recently. We're going to be talking about the new world champion, Stuart Bingham, and asking why players around the 40 mark seem to be doing so well of late. And we'll also be looking at uh, a feature in the new issue, the October issue of Snooker Scene, about Fergal O'Brien. And we'll be looking at... The uh, survey that was done recently by Pro Snooker Blog, which some very interesting uh, questions and answers that Matt there on Pro Snooker Blog uh, got from his readers. So, Clive, Karen Wilson, that was uh, a bit of a story, wasn't it?
1: Remarkable to, to, for a player ranked fifty-fourth to come through to a first uh, ranking title with a series of very good wins. Uh, came through three rounds of qualifying, a wild card round, then Joe Perry, Michael Holt. Ding Junhui, that that was a marvellous win, a late-night win in front of Ding's uh, own Chinese supporters. Then Mark Allen in the semi-finals, an epic 10-9 win over Judd Trump in the final.
0: What impressed me about him, obviously the way he played was fantastic, but he controlled his emotions really well. I commentated on the match with Ding for Eurosport, and there was no sign at any point that he was feeling the pressure. That's not to say he wasn't inside, but you didn't see it. And then, of course, at the end you saw a release of emotion, which was fair enough. But in snooker, controlling the emotions is so important, isn't it?
1: It is. I think the key to his success was putting to the back of his mind... What was hanging on the end of it? Not just an £85,000 first prize, but uh, other ancillary benefits like a place in the champion of champions... A place in Championship League, in World World Grand Prix, all these considerations, which in fact will will make that success in Shanghai worth at least one hundred mm. and fifty thousand. And I think it was his ability to concentrate on the match, just simply as a match, rather than what was hanging on the end of it. And not everybody can do that.
0: He seems very level-headed, and that's going to be important going forward because. In a way, it's done now, it's put to bed, you've won one, but he's going to be under a different sort of pressure. He's going to have expectations from other players, other people, but also himself. He would think, well, I've won a tournament now, I've got to keep improving. So the next few tournaments for him are going to be interesting to see how he gets on.
1: When you've climbed Everest, you you think, well, what's next? You you can only climb it again. There's there's, there's nothing higher. But uh, I I think that there may be a, a, a period of adjustment, but... Uh, when, when things settle, he will know that if he's done it once, he can do it again.
0: Because there have been a lot of players who have won one, and then they struggle to win another one. Dominic Dale said he won the Grand Prix '97, and he said, in a way, I felt I won it too early. I didn't know how to cope with winning, which seems odd, maybe for an outsider, but I kind of know what he means. And it took him ten years to win another tournament. But again, Kyron, he seems, as I say, sensible. I don't think it'll go to his head. However,
1: his results will be watched, though, will not they? They will. In the case of Dominic Dale, I think he never really believed that he was a top player. I think, in a way, he was almost waiting to sort of sink back into the pack after winning the Grand Prix in 1996. I don't think that Wilson will do the same, but at the same time, you 've got to win matches as they come up come up you know uh, if you if there 's a match there you you 've got to win it and then if you win a few in succession you 're in line to win another title
0: and of course Dale when he won it he didn 't have the advantage of the ranking system being as it is now, he had to wait till the end i mean he won it in, in October to wait to the end of the season in May to to see any benefit, whereas Kyron, if he does well in the next few tournaments, could even be in the Masters. So I suppose he has that immediate sort of uh, carrot dangling there. He knows that if he
1: does well in the next few events, he could really possibly even be in the sixteen by the World Championship. It's very good to have carrots uh, uh, and targets. Some players are inspired by them. With other players, it makes it more difficult for them to get over the line in any one match if they realise what's hanging on the end of it. Mm.
0: I guess for for Corrin, he's just got to be very proud of himself first of all, and and just enjoy enjoy the win. But but obviously, move on to the to the next tournament. He'll be in uh, well as as this podcast comes out, he'll have been in the qualifying for the international championship. Well, one man uh, who uh, needs no motivation is is Stuart Bingham, the world champion. We're going to reflect on his uh, great win. I was wondering, Clive. Does he count as a surprise winner? Because we've had surprise winners before, Joe Johnson, Sean Murphy, Graham dot they've never won tournaments,
1: but Stuart was a tournament winner already, so was it that big a shock that he won the World Championship? Well, not not an absolutely seismic shock, but uh, uh, let, let's call it a, a mini-shock. In fact, uh, Stuart said himself that when he was going down the steps at the Crucible on the final night, he, he said, is this me? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 it was, of course. Uh, he... he uh, Came to a peak at the, uh, at the Crucible, we can certainly say that. And uh, winning at the Crucible is, is another step onward from winning any other tournament, we can safely say.
0: Mm. I think it's a sign of the respect people have for Stuart. There's been no backbiting at all, there's been no sort of criticism of him or any, any nastiness that you sometimes get when someone wins a big tournament. People are genu- gen- genuinely happy for him, aren't they? Because they know that the effort he's
1: put in all- down here is the way he supported the game. Well, he's world champion, but he's still one of the lads. Mm. He, he's still uh, a snooker player. Uh, I, I think he's had one or two problems of adjustment being world champion because he's got the Everest problem again. <laughs> he, he's won the world championship. You know, to start again at the bottom is, is, is quite is quite difficult to do. But uh, and and he's not really produced his. Real A game uh, so far this season, but he's still not done badly. Semifinals in Shanghai, not too bad, and there's more to come. Mm.
0: Yeah, he, he, I guess the thing he's got now is that every match he plays is, is suddenly high profile. You know, a year ago, some of his matches in Shanghai would not have been on television, but now pretty much every match he plays is on television, and that takes some adjusting to. You can't sort of, you know, sort of sleepwalk through a couple of rounds. You know that every every ball you, you, you take on, people are watching.
1: I think. Stuart's love of the game will carry him through everything.
0: Fair enough, yeah, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? Even when you know when we recorded these podcasts before in two thousand nine, we were down to six ranking events. But Stuart would be playing in proams, he'd be playing in anything. If there was a, a tournament on in a club and he was walking past, he'd go in and, and enter it. He just has that pure love, doesn't he, of actually playing snooker?
1: Yes, uh, and there's nothing you just can't beat playing matches, whatever they are. Uh, I think that, that two two matches is worth, and you know two weeks of practice, three weeks of practice, there are things happening in matches uh, with the mental circumstances to go with them that just are not reproducible in practice. Mm.
0: And also, the other thing to say about his his crucible success, it was a a real tough draw. You know, you look at certainly the last three matches he played, well, he beat beat Robbie Williams, then Graham Dott, but then he beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, Judd Trump and Sean Murphy. I mean, that is is a seriously impressive trio of scalps in any tournament, but certainly over, over the long matches there.
1: I think the secret was that at last uh, Stuart started to actually see himself a winner on on, uh, on the biggest occasions. Mm. Uh, perhaps before he felt a, l- a little bit mentally intimidated, but uh, n- not anymore. He, he got he got very close to O'Sullivan in the uh, UK Championship previously, and in fact beaten him the year, the, the year before. And uh, it, it really sunk in with him that. I can I can win this, O'Sullivan or not Yeah. Of course one of the things about Stuart and this is a common theme
0: now in the game he's uh, knocking on forties. 39 now he's 38 when he won the World Championship and uh, in recent years there's been a number of players around the 40 mark have been doing well Mark Davis in particular has played his best snooker 20 years into his career Joe Perry, at the age of 40, won his first ranking event the Players' Championship last season various others in their 30s as well at this age, players traditionally start to decline, but it seems the opposite is happening there with, with with some of them,
1: anyway. I think the big question is, do they still love the game? And I think the answer to that is yes, they they do. The other thing is that in the bad old days, with only down to six to six tournaments, each tournament was too much of an event for the all but the very very top players. Um, there was too much too much hanging on it. Um, Financially, apart from apart from anything else, but now that they can play tournaments practically every week, in fact, as much as they like, really, um, they're played in. They're they're not they're not as nervous. They're more adjusted to to tournaments, and therefore it's not quite such a, a a big deal emotionally. But I come back to the original point. The big thing is: are they still enjoying it? They still are, and they're earning pots of money far more than they they were earning in the bad old days. One argument, though, for why it's happening could be, and Kyron Wilson kind of
0: disproves this, but are there enough young, new young players coming through challenging the old guard? You know, you go back 20 years, you had the O'Sullivans, the Higgins, the Williams, sort of knocking over some of the older players, but there
1: aren't as many young players now, are there, who are doing that? No, they're not. Uh, I think, though, that that's partly because the older players are holding their standard for longer.
0: Mm. But also is there a I mean we know in, in Britain anyway snooker clubs are, are shutting down the amateur scene isn 't as vibrant as it once was, so there are fewer players I guess who could challenge
1: yes a, a, a fewer a, a tot- the total number is fewer, and therefore from that base you 're getting uh, fewer real prospects, although they, they they do exist I mean not far from our office there 's a boy called Taylor fish mm. who's only fourteen. Uh, who's just made a maximum at Pockets, Kidderminster. Um, now, he's not actually won anything yet, but uh, a feat like that suggests that he pretty soon will.
0: Well, let's hope he does, because with a name like Fish, you can imagine some of the headlines that you, you're going to see. Um, well, one player who's uh, who's in that, that bracket of, of players around the 40 mark, in fact, it's just over it, Fergal O'Brien. He was the runner-up in the, in the World Seniors Championship. We've got a feature on him, an interview with him in the October issue of Snooker Scene. He's been a pro 25 years. He's one of only three players who... He's still in the top 32 from when the game went open in 1991, the others being Peter Ebden and Mark Davis. Fergal, uh, he's had a very good career, hasn't he? He's won the British Open, the Masters. He's still a professional. He talks in the, in the feature about some of the ones that got away, but to still be playing and, and still be competing at the highest level, he's now Ireland's number one, actually. That's a remarkable feat. Well,
1: I'm beginning to sound like a,
0: a recurring record. <laughs>
1: it's love of the game. Yeah. Nobody loves the game more than Fergal. Uh practices practices like a demon and uh I think he'll be uh... On the circuit for a few years, yes.
0: You need enthusiasm to have gone to so many sort of qualifiers. They're not always staged in how should we put it the the sort of uh, the great cities of the world either. The qualifiers they're not necessarily places that you would go to on holiday. And when you lose sort of five four at half eleven at night on the black, you must get in your car and think, oh, I should be doing something else. But I suppose that that goes away after a day or two, and you just think, well, this is what I love doing. It's in my blood, and I'll come back and
1: give it another go. Well, I think any player who's had a serious career um would ask himself after a bit what is the alternative to this and really there isn't one i mean it's a pretty good life really okay you know you can't play at the crucible every day you know some days you're playing on table six somewhere in eastern europe Uh, (laughs) or even uh, table seven (laughs) uh, but 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 it's the it's it's their life they would be lost without it Mm.
0: Fergal British Open was his his great win and he talks in in the magazine because he's quite feisty, I don't think people realise he's quite outspoken and he said that he was inspired by the fact that he wasn't picked as a wild card for the Irish Masters. He was in the 20s and Michael Judge was something like 60 and he got the wild card and Fergal didn't. And he said it annoyed him so much. He said, I was determined to win a tournament so I could then make a speech, lambasting the decision. <laughs> it, it turned out he did win the tournament, he just didn't make the speech because he was so, so happy to win it. But sometimes you need a kind of driving force like that just to sort of fire you up a bit, don't you?
1: Well, motivation comes in some mysterious ways. <laughs> Still Irish
0: number one as well. I mean, again, I suppose in a way, it's two things. One, it points to Fergal's great consistency, but also you have to ask where are all the Irish juniors? Where are the new players? Davy Morris is there, but not that many others.
1: Well, Fergal made this this very point. Uh, the, the the base I, I, is not as wide. Uh, uh, the, the base of snooker players is not as wide in, 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 his, in his country, and therefore there's a reduced chance on the law of averages of a real world-class prospect emerging mm.
0: I think a, a lot of uh, any young kids in Ireland would do well to look at Ken and Fergal they both look after themselves and Fergal you know he's not a hell raiser at all by any means but also and this is another theme that's come into snooker uh, personal fitness he's joined a running club he tells us he's pretty quick which uh, may surprise a few people but uh, Again, that's, that's something that you, you just didn't used to see in snooker. In the 1980s, it wasn't very common. You'd hear, I've, I've just been in the gym, or I've been for a sort of five-mile run. It just didn't happen, did it?
1: Well, it, it would have been regarded as <laughs> the height of eccentricity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but again, I suppose, I suppose Ronnie O'Sullivan has sort of pioneered this to, to a pretty extreme level. I mean, he, he runs a hell of a lot but it it does seem to make a difference because you do need energy don't you particularly with so much travelling it's not just the playing it's the travelling as well
1: oh yes it's not so much it's not so much playing the matches it's what goes with it all the the, the other thing that um, has developed so much from the eight, from the 80s certainly from the 70s is, is coaching the the received wisdom used to be oh if you're a good player you don't need coaching well uh, that that's certainly not the case now everybody's looking for that tiny incremental improvement, that extra 1%, which could make all the difference.
0: Yeah, and, and I think we've seen that with, with Michael Holt, actually, this season. He's with Terry Griffiths, um, and Michael's always been a, a terrific talent, but the psychological side has maybe let him down sometimes. But we're, we're not much into the season, but he's already having really good results, and he's with Terry this year, and uh, that seems to be something that's working, and it, it points to Terry's great wisdom. I mean, it's not just the fact that he knows it all, he's, he's done it all as well.
1: I think that Michael Holt's problem is not technique. He can play all the shots. Uh, the problem is not getting down on himself, not getting impatient with his own shortcomings. In short, a much more rounded and sensible uh, mental approach. And, and Terry's just the man to, to help him get that.
0: Yeah, Michael actually, he, he fulfills a lot of the things we talked about. He's in his mid, mid to, to late thirties. And he's well into the physical fitness as well. And now he's got Terry on his side. Uh, well, interesting to see how he gets on this season. We're going to move on now to the Pro Snooker blog uh, survey that Matt Hewitt uh, did on his uh, on his excellent website, Pro Snooker blog. Now, obviously, this is read by snooker fans, so it's not like just stopping people in the street and asking them. It's, uh, it's preaching to the converted to a degree, but it was still interesting to see what people felt. And what they felt, broadly speaking, was that they actually are pretty happy with the state of the game, resistant to too much... Sort of artificial change I mean the one thing that people don't want changed is the game itself we've had sort of variants here and there the six reds power snooker for those with long memories um, and various other things but it seems to me Clive every sort of attempt to, to mess with the game has basically not worked
1: well no <laughs> uh, because it's, it, it's, such a, it's such a great game you can have you can work on the length of matches we've got tournaments which are best of seven best of nine then longer for the UK, uh, and even longer for the World Championship. Uh, Best of Seven is a sprint, uh, but uh, the sort of matches I prefer are the ones where you can have twists and turns Mm. in the narrative, the slow burns, the accumulating dramatic tension. The, the, The matches that I most like to watch are the dramatic matches. I've got no interest, really, in, or very little interest in seeing a top player annihilate somebody 10-2 mm. because the, 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 the tension has been drained out of it long before the end.
0: This is the thing, and it, it's again, it's something that you often hear people say, oh, p- people don't have, uh, can't, can't concentrate these days for, for their attention spans are too short. But I'm not sure that that's actually true. You know, you look at a lot of films seem to be getting longer and longer, and uh, you know, Game of Thrones books are like house bricks. You know, it takes take years to get through them. So if if people like something, they get immersed in it, and there's, there's no doubt that the, the longer matches at the World Championship, when they go close and they're high quality, as, as quite a few of them were this year, are the best, and that's certainly borne out in the survey. On the other side of the scale, the shootout. I was interested in in this because uh, he asked, uh, do you enjoy the the shootout? Fifty-two point five percent said yes, forty-seven point five no. It's a pretty direct split. It seems sort of a marmite tournament. That
1: yeah, I, I don't think it does any harm. Just one one a hmm. year. It, it's something different. It's it's uh, it, it, it's a fun tournament. Uh, if you can call any tournament carrying pretty substantial prize <laughs> money, uh, undiluted <laughs> undiluted fun. Uh, what i don 't like about it is is the the, the crowd get over excited they they get raucous you, you know you encourage audience participation and uh, you, if you give them an inch they' they 'll take a yard but i I see no harm in the, in the in the one frame shoot and i I quite enjoy it but uh, I, I wish the, the the crowd sometime would be a little bit more moderate in their enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, well, the survey—if I can find—if uh, I can find the answer—the survey said the same thing. They said they didn't want more rowdiness. I mean, the point about snooker crowds is ninety-two point six percent. I've just found it say they were against rowdier crowds. The point about snooker is you know people are involved in the match if they're quiet because if they're quiet they're concentrating on what's happening. If you if you hear them sort of moving about and talking, it's because it's because they're bored. But I agree, you, you know, to to get the best play from the players. You need order, and pe- some people say, "Oh, well, in a snooker club, you get you know lots of people running around." That's true, but you're not playing for underground in a snooker club, are you? And it's not it's not the professional circuit. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing about the shootout, the, re- the reason I-, I brought it up was w- when the first one happened, and it was obviously new and it was successful and it was popular on television. Quite a few people, including players, started to say, "Well, this is great. Let's bring in these rules for the world championship." But, I mean, that, w- that would just be that would be no good, would it?
1: Oh, it would be awful. <laughs>
0: And 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 it's it's good as well that in a way, I mean I know a lot of people think the UK Championship should still be best at seventeen, but because now the World Championship is the only tournament with the really longer matches, in a way it's become more special. I think it has become, you know, the the one event a year where you know you're going to get two sessions, you got well, three or four in in some rounds, and that's one thing you got to say for Barry Hearn. He's not messed about with it at all. I think a lot of people feared he might, but he's not sure because he knows it works as well.
1: Yes, I, I think that. Regarding length of matches, it's a case of what the market will will bear. Um, some tournaments there's not there's not enough time to play more than best of seven. Certainly not in in, in the early rounds. And the same goes for best of nines. Uh, and the the decision to take more players to the final phase of the uh, of the UK Championship that had a bearing on reducing the early matches from best of seventeen to best of eleven.
0: Mm. Also. Uh... I mean, I, I like the best of seventeens, but a six five is better than a nine two. You know, it, it, it can a good snooker is good snooker, really. Whatever the length, and, and and if it's a great match, you kind of don't want it to end. But but if, if it's a close six five, then who, who really cares? It turns out quite a few people do actually. But anyway, we'll move on to another subject in the in the survey, which was seventy uh, percent thought the win win of the women's world championship should get a main tour wildcard. I think this is a difficult one, isn't it? Because Rianne Evans was given a wild card to play in the World Championship she very nearly beat Ken Doherty and people said well why not put her on the tour but of course she's no longer the world champion Um, the the girl from Hong Kong won it and uh, it wasn't the the greatest standard it's got to be said in that final so the question would be frankly would she be good enough to play on the main tour rather than just sort of tokenism giving her a place would it actually achieve anything Uh,
1: I'm not great on tokenism (laughs) I must say uh, I I think think, uh, uh, Rianne Evans showed that she At her best, she's got the quality to at least compete on the main tour, even though she didn't win many matches.
0: We're going to pause it because there's someone at the door. Yeah, sorry about sorry about that. There was someone at the door. It's good of them to knock because they normally just throw bricks through the window. So that was uh, that was nice. But we we were talking about the 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 women's world champion uh, being on the on the circuit. I suppose the 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 argument for it would be it would sort of promote the women's game because it's quite hard for Rianne and the other players to. Improve if they're just playing each other. It's quite a small circuit. And also, if girls don't see women playing, I guess they might not even think of taking the game up.
1: Well, I don't think it would be promoting the women's game much if a women's representative on the tour was constantly losing Mm. 5-0, 5-0, 5-1. There are other tournaments. Uh, There's the English Amateur Championship, uh, for example. There are a string of pro-ams that the, 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 the top women players could... Could uh, well um, play in those. In fact, uh, Ryan Evans um, did play in one of the the better ones, uh, the, the Snooker Backer Classic, and won one of those events. Mm, yes. So, so the, 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 there's plenty of opportunity for them.
0: Okay. Now, this is another um, point that was raised in the survey, and it's kind of one of those things. It seems almost a strange thing to even ask people because it's never really come up. But Sean Murphy's had this idea that he thinks to get used to the table, players should come out and rather than just start playing, they should have a sort of warm-up, you know, five minutes. You see in tennis, players warming up. Even in dance, they throw a few. And 60% of respondents said, that's a good idea. I'm not sure TV would be too impressed with that.
1: Well, it seems impractical (coughs) for me, but particularly when there are several matches taking place on the same table in the same day, Mm. Uh, you know, it's just going to look odd, you know, if the players, without any introduction, come out and start uh, seeing... Uh, whether the um, whether a ball pulls pulls into the black cushion or whatever, uh, I, I, I think you, you've just got to take a chance. The only possible uh, case for this would be in tournaments like the Masters, where you've got the whole morning uh, to, to to perhaps have a, a few minutes on the table. But I, I don't think it's it's a major issue.
0: No, and also, I mean, I've been at tournaments uh, certainly overseas where players they have actually practiced on the table a couple of hours before the match. If there's no play going on, they've gone out there and and and, and had a knock. And I don't I don't think world snooker would be against that as long as everyone could do it. We see it at the Championship League; they the players yeah. have a practice because there aren't any practice tables, so they plan the match table before it starts. But anyway, that's one of that's one of Sean's. Uh, Sean's a law reader, so I thought I would I would mention that one. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the pro snooker dot com has uh, the results of that survey, and I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The the basic point that came out of it was that although people do have their gripes, and obviously you see on Twitter people complain about all sorts of things, basically people are happy. And one of the reasons they're happy, of course, is the the way the game has changed in the last five years. Our last uh, topic is going to be the Barry Hearn revolution, because when we did these podcasts before, it it was uh, a different era, to say the least. Things have changed greatly, and his five-year initial five-year plan has now come to an end. He's got his new one in place. Clive, you've been campaigning for for decades for changing snooker. What's your view of what Barry's done?
1: It's been a marvellous success. Um, Barry, of course, uh, a classic uh, poacher turned (laughs) gamekeeper. He he was a thorn in the side at the old WPBSA, but now that he's actually got the reins uh, at World Snooker, uh, he's really revolutionised it. Uh, There are wall-to-wall tournaments Uh, prize money has increased uh, uh, out of all recognition Uh, no serious mistakes that I I can see in fact uh, uh, the the only disagreements that we've had in the five years he's been at the helm have been extremely minor, extremely (laughs) civilised which they they certainly weren't (laughs) with the the old WPBSA so I I, I think that things have gone exceptionally well uh, and I don't see any reason at all why they shouldn't go even better and
0: he says it's been easy, but of course it's easy when, you're, when you've got the contacts that he has. I mean, the old world snooker, we're not here to sort of bash the old guard, but they couldn't get any tournaments on ITV4, they couldn't get tournaments in Germany, even though it was clear that there was a market, and, and yet Barry's come in and, and very quickly, that was the thing that impressed me, very quickly tournaments just cropped up seemingly out of nowhere, but of course it takes years of, of building the contacts and the experience to actually put these events on, and crucially also not lose fortunes doing it.
1: Well he was well established in the world of television sponsorship through his entrepreneurship in in other sports and classically as well. He, he he knew something. Actually, knew something about about snooker in the old days on the WPBSA board. You, you either had players who knew very little about business, or businessmen who knew nothing about players <laughs> about about snooker. Mm. So uh, um, uh, Barry has brought all his business expertise and his knowledge of snooker with with Steve Davis his right hand, I, I mm. might add, and it's proved to be the, the ideal combination.
0: And also, he doesn't sit still, does he? He's, OK, the five-year plan is, is up, but there's a new one in place, and he continues to innovate. Next season, we're going to have the three new British-based tournaments, the Irish Open, Scottish Open and the English Open, the new European Championship. It's important not to just think, oh, it's all solved now. You've still got to actually come up with, with fresh ideas to to keep it going.
1: Well, he, he he's done that. He, he's... Uses experience in other sports. He he looks at what's happening in the world of television, what what's attractive, what isn't, and I'm sure that the that next season with with the new with the new tournaments will be even better than this. And I think it will also be higher profile.
0: Yeah, the one criticism you do hear of him, and he might even own up to this, is that if he says something's right, is right, and he doesn't necessarily. If the person he's talking to disagrees, it, in some ways that's quite refreshing because we've we've in over the years we've had such a sort of committee based approach where everyone's got to be sort of kept happy. I suppose his attitude is well you, to the players certainly you know I'm putting on the tournament you play and them get on with
1: it. Yes, he does he does say that but but he he, he does listen to uh, criticisms observations and uh, I think that they. They may make a difference in his thinking somewhere along the way, but at the end of the day, he makes the decisions, and that's it. And that's how it's got to be.
0: He did say I heard him on the radio. He said he actually retired when he was in his thirties for about a week, and he he, he went <laughs> fishing, and, and he likes fishing, but he just could not bear it. And you know that's the point. He doesn't actually have to do this, does he? He's in, he's in his sixties. He's got enough money to just go and lie on an island somewhere. But he clearly he, he loves getting up in the morning and just going off making deals.
1: Yes. Well, he. he he wakes up in the morning with, with with an objective, a sense of purpose. And however old you are, I think that's a good thing to have.
0: Mm. So what Snooker's sort of immediate future, the next few years, it seems it seems rosy enough, but we know that it's sort of at the mercy of certain things. I mean, you look at the Chinese economy, that's cost uh, tennis and golf a couple of tournaments. So we can't necessarily take it all for granted. Do you think that possibly looking to, to different markets, you know, they, they've talked about the Middle East for a number of years, haven't quite got an event on there, but is, is that the answer to keep on looking at new territories?
1: Well, uh, uh, of course you have, you, 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 you've got to look to see where you can expand the game uh, and uh, uh, develop a, a new market, but I, I think that the, the big um, problem which snooker has in Great Britain is the lack of National newspaper coverage because unless unless it's in the papers, you know people tend to think, oh, this is not very important, Uh, and uh, it's very difficult to to get uh, national newspaper sports editors uh, to change their mind and and give uh, give snooker what I think is its due.
0: That's possibly one one of the problems with problems is maybe the wrong word, but one of the issues with the new tournaments. If you if you ring up a newspaper and say. It's the international championship this week. They're entitled to say, "Well, what's that?" Because it doesn't have a history like the UK Championship, the Masters, the World Championship. That people know what they are. So, it's quite hard to just establish a new tournament. Maybe that'll come in time. Although the British press just don't seem interested at all in Sluga.
1: No, but but there are ongoing narratives between between the players. Lots of lots of lots of rivalries. Who's going to be number one? You know, is. Judd Trump going to make a century of centuries this year. He, he, he's he's only made fifteen so far, but uh, I I I think that uh, with, with the tournaments um, gathering pace, with more of them, I, I think he might well go close. Uh, all, all these things. There, there are stories about. There are stories to tell. Every player has a story to tell, and it's very frustrating that the that the national press won't wake up to this. Your
0: enthusiasm, Clive, doesn't seem to have dimmed in the in the in all the years. <laughs> Forty four years now, you've been editing Snooker Scene.
1: You, you you still still like it as much as ever. Again, uh, it's waking up in the morning with a sense of purpose, and uh, I, I do. It, it is satisfying when things go in the right direction, and maybe I've helped to give them a push here and there. Uh, I do love the game. Uh, I started playing when I was 14. Uh, I, I I don't play I don't play snooker anymore. I still uh, play a, a, a little bit of billiards, but I think it, it gets in, it gets in your blood.
0: Okay, well that's a, I think a, a good point to end on. Just to remind you you can subscribe to snooker scene if you visit our website snookerscene.co.uk and let us know what you think of this podcast. Sorry that we that's... had uh, someone turn up at the door. We couldn't help that. But yeah, let us know. I'm on Twitter at Dave Hendon, and uh, we'll be back with you for a new episode very soon. Thank you for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.